Hey everyone, and welcome to the first official episode of An Idiot's Reading of the Bible. My name's Josh, I'm the idiot. Today, we're going to be taking a look at Luke chapter 1. I decided to start with Luke because Luke is typically suggested to me as a good book to start off of a Bible reading plan with. Uh, it chronicles the cycle of Jesus's life. I think it's a pretty easy inroads to the gospel as far as the uh, main or synoptic gospels are, are concerned. So we'll go ahead and start there. As I mentioned in the intro episode, I will be doing an audio reading of uh, the chapter that we'll be discussing uh, in the podcast. You can check the podcast notes for the timestamp if you want to skip that, read it on your own. Maybe you're familiar with it already and skip right into the discussion. Let's get started. Luke chapter 1, Dedication to Theophilus. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set and order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. John's birth announced to Zacharias. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn hearts of the fathers of the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of just of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Christ's birth announced to Mary. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house David. The virgin's name was Mary. 
And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, for your relative has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservants of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary visits Elizabeth. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of, to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. The Song of Mary And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her house. Birth of John the Baptist Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. Circumcision of John the Baptist So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he, what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and spoke, saying, His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around him, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all hill country, all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them kept and all who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Zechariah's prophecy. 
Now his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore with our father Abraham, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteous before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, which with the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Wow, okay, so I don't have much experience reading the Bible aloud, spoken, and that was really difficult for me to read. A lot of the phrasing is really beautiful and and flowery but it's definitely showing that it's been translated from the greek in terms of how these sentences are structured uh hopefully i'll get a little bit better with that but i find it especially difficult to read chapters like um the dedication to theophilus uh or verses rather such as the dedication to theophilus uh off the bat uh hopefully that'll get a little bit better um Anyway, so a lot of thoughts on Luke. I have some notes here, so please excuse the uh, paper flipping sounds in the background. Before I get into the actual content of the chapter I just read, I want to talk a little bit about the general context of Luke, because most of this is pretty new to me, and I was able to get a a little bit of context that made this make make, uh, the chapter sit a little bit better with me. So the book of Luke, I guess we don't really know who wrote it. There are some copies written on papyrus that are existing or have been scanned uh, as early as AD 150, which is pretty crazy to me. Um, Now it's hypothesized that this book is drawn from essentially three three sources, um, or at least I'm calling it three sources, I was able to turn up something called the two-source hypothesis. So this hypothesis puts forth that Luke is actually a combination of the book of Matthew uh, as well as something called the Q source. Uh, No, not that Q, a different Q. Um, Digging into the Q source, I, I found out, as far as I'm able to tell, that a copy of this doesn't exist. And this may have been either an oral or written tradition uh, around the time of Luke writing this of Jesus's sayings. We just don't really have too much information on it. Uh, But that was interesting to me. I thought Luke was just a uh, sort of a a primary source or or at least all um, original material, let's say, from from whoever Luke is. Uh, But apparently it's it's not. It's a synthesis of, uh, as I mentioned, parts of the book of Matthew, as well as that Q source, uh, and Luke, uh, stitching those together, obviously as the, the sort of editor and, and I'm sure adding his own things along the way, it looks like you can get pretty into the weeds with, uh, scholarship 
of this book as well as other books of the Bible. This is sort of scratching the surface information so far as I'm able to tell. So I'd like to get started by talking about the main characters in this chapter. Uh, some of those are going to be, you know, fairly well known to us, either as Christians or, or either either as people that are just living in a, a Christian society. Obviously, you have uh, Mary, who is going to eventually be the mother of Jesus. You have Jesus mentioned, but uh, the first person mentioned here is Theophilus. And so I did a little bit of research into who Theophilus is. Theophilus might have been someone that Luke was writing uh, his gospel to. Um, but an interesting theory I came across was that uh, Theophilus breaks down into two Greek words, Theo and Philus, and those sequentially translate into God and lover, so God lover. So maybe something fun to play around with there, but it, it gives one the hunch that maybe Luke was writing this in a sort of coy uh, way to anybody that was interested in learning more about about God, about the Son of Man, uh, something to that effect. So I thought that was kind of interesting, but we don't know much else about Theophilus, if he was a real person, if this is sort of a, a stand-in a personification of everyone wanting to listen uh, to a gospel written about Jesus. Just not sure. The other two main characters I want to talk about are John the Baptist as well as Gabriel. So we'll talk about John the Baptist it, uh, first, he was uh, considered a prophet by a number of religions, even outside of Christianity. And he's a bit of a like a sage or a mystic. His birth was obviously meticulously recorded here in Luke. And I, I think this pops up in other Bible writings as well. So if it was worth writing down, especially in that time period, it would have been somewhat important. So that's something kind of interesting to to take note of. You know, why why is Luke bothering to waste ink, to waste uh, paper on documenting uh, this character that isn't Jesus or uh, isn't? Well, I guess he's kind of biologically related to Jesus, depending on where you stand on that. But um, he's he's definitely put in a position of prominence uh, by virtue of the fact that Luke has written about him here. Now, one of the interesting things about John the Baptist's birth to Zacharias and Elizabeth, her first off, uh, Elizabeth is somehow related to Mary. Uh, although I've done a little bit of research on this as well, it's not exactly clear how Elizabeth is related to Mary, but they, they at least know each other, they're interacting with each other, and they are somehow blood-related. The other thing that really stuck out to me about John the Baptist, as described here in the book of Luke, are the circumstances and features surrounding his birth, as they've been documented here. I actually drifted back and forth. I've read this chapter a couple times now in, in preparing to record this episode. And I got about halfway through it the one time, the first time I was, I was kind of daydreaming and I actually thought they were talking about Jesus's birth uh, for, for a moment. So uh, going back and, you know, really looking it over, obviously they're talking about John the Baptist here, but his birth really parallels a lot of things uh, in the Jesus birth story as well. You know, God um, announces his coming uh, through an angel, Gabriel, who we'll talk about in a minute. There's a sort of immaculate conception uh, going on, 
and there's a, a, a prophecy about his his birth that he's this person John the Baptist is going to do certain things he's going to be certain things uh, so I thought that was kind of notable uh, just to flesh out the John character a little bit more too uh, we have chapter 1 verse 80 so the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel uh, this is a theme that even though I'm not super familiar with Bible scholarship seems like it comes up often uh, Jesus goes into the desert for a, an amount of time he sends his apostles into the desert uh, without supplies uh, is another story. So this theme of going into the desert uh, or going out into the void has some kind of symbolic significance. I'm not quite there yet with what it exactly means. Um, I live in Northern Arizona and so I was actually in Phoenix last weekend and uh, when I was coming back home was driving through a lot of, a lot of desert area. And so, you know, what can we what can we discern about the desert? It's lifeless. Uh, there are a lot of dead things there. There's some living things there, but they're very hardened and I guess not not nurturing might be one way to put it. There are a lot of cacti, uh, small, really hard types of aloe, succulents, things of that nature that are spiny you know they're not very inviting to our primate eyes or at least not as inviting uh to our primate sensibilities as let's say like a fruit tree or a really lush meadow or something like that so the the symbolism of going out into the desert might be to clear away worldly things or, or clear away temptation in order to become more in touch with god to become more spiritual to maybe manifest something from nothing, which is another theme that comes up in this chapter, manifesting something from nothing. Uh, obviously, we have this immaculate conception with John the Baptist's mother, uh, which is something from nothing. She is barren. Um, they cannot conceive, and suddenly she is able to conceive. It's foreshadowed you know, also with, with Mary here in this chapter. So I'm thinking that the desert is going to be something like a spiritual place where you're free from worldly desires, where you can also manifest something from God out of nothing. I think, I think that's my working interpretation at this point, but I'll be interested to see how that develops as the desert motif is brought up more in the future. And, uh, it takes uh, prominence in, in more stories that we might be going through in the future. So the other character I wanted to talk about as well is Gabriel. So a few facts about Gabriel. I, I've turned these up by doing a little bit of light research. Uh, he is one of the only angels that is actually called by a specific name in the Bible. There are a lot of angels that do things in stories, appear to people in stories, but they don't have names. And, and Gabriel has a name and naming naming things means they're important enough to have a name, I guess. So I thought that was particularly significant. Um, he's humanoid, but he's scary. If we go to, let's see, where is it? Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar with incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. So Zacharias is uh, ostensibly 
he's somewhat of a spiritual man. Um, They, as it says here, uh, walked in commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Uh, So they're they're in in good standing with the Lord. Uh, Zacharias is no no um, stranger to the church. He's burning incense in, in the temple. Uh, but even even though he's sort of come to grips with these things, he's familiar with them. He's uh, spooked when when Gabriel shows up. So, uh, although I wasn't able to really find too much about Gabriel's physical characteristics, I, I was able to turn up that he didn't, in fact, have wings as angels are often depicted. So it lends one to assume he was uh, some sort of humanoid-looking character. Uh, we can only speculate as to why Zacharias was fearful. Um, and that word in particular, fear, it's not awe or reverence or, uh, can't think of another adjective, but you know, a sense of, uh, profundity maybe, uh, that you might experience when coming into contact with someone who's very spiritually in tune or very holy, it's, it's fear. And, and that's the word that's used and, and trouble as well. So, and this is, uh, before he speaks as well. He wasn't startled. He was he was troubled, and he, fear fell upon him. So I think that's something to definitely take note of, especially if we see Gabriel pop up in any other readings um, in the future. And it turns out Zacharias is right to be fearful of him because he renders him mute until he does what he's supposed to do, which is uh, name name his son correctly. So that's that's definitely something that would strike fear. Uh, into you as well. Um, so I, I don't know that we'll see any more of, of Gabriel. I don't know what comes next in, in the book of Luke, but uh, I got chills actually when I read that thinking of, uh, I don't know, for, for me, one of the things I find spooky are uh, movie monsters that are a little bit taller than me. So if you've ever seen Prometheus, the the race of engineers, they're I think maybe about 10 feet tall, maybe eight feet tall. They're not giants, but they're significantly taller than humans and kind of stoic looking. And so I wonder if Gabriel might have been, you know, significantly taller and maybe have harsh features about him and um, maybe a certain, certain presence. So just to recap Again, this this uh, chapter of Luke uh, announces the coming of Christ. It announces the coming of John the Baptist. We see John the Baptist born, uh, circumcised. Zacharias's mutinous is uh, reversed after he makes good on his, the naming of his child. And then a little bit of, I guess, jump ahead to saying that John the Baptist grew up and was in the deserts. Um until his manifestation to Israel. I'm really hoping that we'll find out a little bit more about John in the future. He's really an intriguing uh, character to me um, from what I've heard from various sources that he led some kind of, I guess, rogue ministry that announced the coming of Christ. He really uh, championed baptism as something that was uh, mandatory and important for his followers and seemed to almost be this ascetic kind of crazy person. And from the stories that I've read about him, one of the notable differences I've noticed from between him and Jesus is that John seems to have people come to him for his ministry. Whereas 
Jesus goes to people. He's traveling with his apostles. He's going into people's homes. He's meeting them at their own level. But John the Baptist is a little bit more of a, a mystic in in the sense that you you have to go to him. You have to go find him in in the desert. Um, if that's in fact where he was practicing, I guess if he was doing baptisms, he probably came out of the desert at some point. But that's an interesting kind of parallel um, to to Jesus. Anyways, uh, I hope this was interesting for you. Uh, really interested to get into the second chapter of Luke and see if we continue along with this John the Baptist storyline or, or maybe go in a completely different direction. Thanks for listening.